Heavenly Father, again, we just thank you, Lord. What an amazing opportunity just to come before you, Lord. I just ask for a blessing on this service, Lord, and this message. I just pray that your Holy Spirit would speak to us all, Lord, including me the most, Lord, even. This message, Lord, would just be something that would be from you and your word, Lord, and spoken by your Holy Spirit. So, Lord, I just ask that now in Jesus' name. Amen. So last week, that's how I start almost every message, last week... We learned something very important. We learned that God is very, very serious about one thing. What did we learn? Very serious. Remember the fig tree? We learned that God is very serious about those who say one thing, but really present something else. We were issued a warning last week about that, that there are those that are not really producing fruit in their lives and their ministries, But they advertise that they are. But when you look into their lives or their ministries, you see that there's no fruit there. And Jesus showed us last week through that parable or that story, I guess really a story of the fig tree, and he cursed the fig tree, remember? The tree had all the outward signs, it had all the leaves. But when Jesus went up there and inspected it, there was no fruit So remember Jesus said, he said, may you never bear fruit again. And then the tree actually withered up from the roots up. So we learned through that message that we need to walk or talk. There's your analogy. I'm going to get in a few of them today. And we also learned that Jesus is a fruit inspector, right? He expects fruit to be produced in its season, Now, after this lesson we learned uh, from that fig tree, Jesus and the disciples, we know they actually continued and they arrived in the temple. And this is where Jesus began teaching. Now, when Jesus was there and he started to begin teaching, remember what the authorities, they came up to Jesus and they were like, by what authority do you say these things? Now, Jesus, he answered, kind of. He responded to them. But when he responded to them, he explained that they didn't listen to the prophets before. They didn't listen to John the Baptist. And because of their unbelief and not believing that the others were sent from God, he knew they wouldn't believe him that he was sent for God. So he didn't answer them. Now, as we get into today, I had to tie all that together because today is a continuation of that discussion. So last week, they arrived in the temple. They asked, by what authority are you teaching? Jesus didn't answer them, but then Jesus, he's going to rebuke these same religious leaders, right? Basically in the next paragraph. So we're continuing that story this week, and we'll continue it again next week. So it's kind of a series, a little bit of a series as we go through it. So now the religious leaders have come up, right? They're all around him asking them these questions. And Jesus is going to tell a story. Now, everyone's around. I mean, this message that we're going to read here in the scripture is directed at the religious leaders. But the disciples were there, the crowds were there, and now we're reading it in God's word. So there's a lesson for all of us inside of this, even though it is directed at the religious leaders. So Jesus is going to show us, teach us through several parables or stories or lessons. So let's get going here and turn to... Matthew chapter 21, verse 28. But what do you think about this? A man with two sons told the older boy, Son, 
Go out and work in the vineyard today. Now, Jesus is going to use a very simple story to teach us and the religious leaders a lesson. There's a, there's a point in here that we can all learn from. Now, as you see, as Jesus starts this story, this parable, he starts with addressing the boy with son, just son. I think that it's personal. This isn't, you know, son, can you do this for me? This was not a stringent, you know, command. It was just like, son, can you go out and work today? But we see right away here, the son didn't want to do what the father had asked. Um, so he refused. But he did speak truthfully. We see that, right? Do you see that? He said the son answered, no, I won't go. But then later, as we see in that verse, I think the son came to his senses a little bit and thought about it and said, well, that wasn't right. And so he repented of that and went ahead and went and did what his father had asked him. So let's just continue right through. We're going to go through these scriptures pretty quick, right to verse 30. Then the father told the other son, you go. And he said, yes, sir, I will. But he didn't go. Little different story now. The second son, when he replies to the father's request, he does it very respectfully. Yes, sir. Right? But it was just lip service. His lips were, it was just lip service. Yes, sir. But the son didn't do what was asked of him or really what is expected of him to do. But he was very, yes, sir. But more than this, that he didn't do what he was asked, I think he really, he knew he wasn't going to do it. I think he lied. He knew he wasn't going to go do the work. Now, what do you think of this, these two sons right away? You heard the, these two little kind of quick little stories about these two sons. What do you think of them? Think about that. Let's look at verse 31. Which of the two sons obeyed his father? They replied, the first. They is the religious leaders. Then Jesus explained his message. I tell you the truth. Corrupt tax collectors and prostitutes will get into the kingdom before you do. Right away, I think we see a lesson. Right? Right away. We see that our actions as Christians, matter to God. God doesn't just want our words. He doesn't just want our lip service, but he wants our actions. Like the first son. The first son said no, but he repented and then did what he was asked. Where the second, yes, sir. But then he didn't do what he said he was going to do. We should never say one thing and live out something else in our lives. We have a expression in, I don't know, American church. I don't know if you have it in Myanmar or Australia. We call it plain church. Maybe some of you have heard it. I hear some, see some nods. So plain church is something we say. It's, it's a Christian ease, we call it. So it's, it's a saying that we as Christians, we go to church. But as soon as we walk out them doors, we don't live out anything that we've been taught inside these walls. So they're just playing church. They come here, oh, yes, praise the Lord. You know, my life is so good. And this. But as soon as they walk out there, it's just two different lives. So they just play church. That's kind of what this, I think, in this parable or this story, this son. Yes, sir, I'll do that, Father. Turns around and goes right back to his Xbox or his Facebook. I don't know what he was doing. Right? So it was the son's responsibility in this story or for any, any son and father relationship to obey the father. 
We all would agree with that. It's just, and there's an analogy here, it's just as it is our responsibility to obey God. We can see in this parable that God is the father that is speaking of in this story. And now we see the first son. Who is the first son? Because this is a parable. The first son is, as it talks about there, the tax collectors and the prostitutes. That's who he's talking about. They're the ones that said no, but then came to repentance and followed Jesus. Now, the second son, who is it in this story? Religious leaders. It's the religious leaders. Oh, yes, they got all the fancy temple. They got everything. But when it come down to it, just like in the story of the fig tree, there was no fruit. They did not do what they were supposed to be doing as Christians or in that time as God followers, however you want to apply that. So now, as we start looking at this story, we always, I always want to apply it to myself or apply the text to my own life. So who am I? Who are you in this story? Are you the first son? Are you the second son? I don't know. I can't. But it's a question we should ask ourselves as we read this story. Are we just giving lip service as Christians? Or are we like the first one who says, Lord, I don't want to do this. I don't want to do it. But then you repent and say, Lord, I will. I'm willing. Now, who are you in this story? So I know that my life I've bounced a little bit back and forth between the two, I will admit. I have been the one that says, oh, yes, you know, living a holy life and this and that. And then if you looked into my life in some areas, it really wasn't what I would tell you. There's been many points in my life that it's been that way. But there's been other times where I had this, like the first one, I just repented. And I came to say, you know, I want to I follow you, Lord. Even though initially I'm like, I didn't want to do it. But then the Lord spoke to me, the Holy Spirit spoke to me, and I did it. So I don't think that we follow, I could follow just one line, this is who I am. But I can see some lessons inside of that that I can apply to my own life and that I have to be careful of. That sometimes when I do say no to God, like the, the first son, I can, I can repent and turn back to God and say, this is what I'm supposed to be doing. And then always being very careful not to be the second son and saying, yes, I'll do it. But then my life is not what it should be. So there's a couple lessons. So let's see, after I just shared all that, let's see what Jesus wants to say about all this in verse 32. For John the Baptist came and showed you the right way to live, but you didn't believe him, while the tax collectors and the prostitutes did. And even when you saw this happening, you refused to believe in him and repent of your sins. All the people, these religious leaders, the crowds, they'd all seen these tax collectors. They've all seen the prostitutes. They've all seen these people repent and start following Jesus. I mean, these people were the worst of society at that time. And yet, these people were the ones that have repented of their sins and were following Jesus. These were the Jesus followers. I mean, you think it was a poor fisherman, which wasn't in that list, but it was the prostitutes, the stories there. Uh, the tax collector Matthew, I mean, we're actually reading Matthew right now even. Um, these are the people that had turned and repented and started their life in following Jesus. Um, let's look real quick to Luke chapter 7, verse 24. Luke chapter 7, verse 24 through 30. After John's disciples left, Jesus began talking about him to the crowds. What kind of man did you go into the wilderness to see? Was he a weak reed, swayed by every breath of the wind? Or were you expecting to see a man dressed in expensive clothes? No. People who wear beautiful clothes and live in luxury are found in palaces. Were you looking for a prophet? Yes, and he is more than a prophet. John 
is the man from whom scriptures refer when they say, Look, I am sending you my messenger ahead of you, and he will prepare your way before you. I tell you, of all who have ever lived, none is greater than John. Yet even the least person in the kingdom of God is greater than he is. When they heard this, all the people, even the tax collectors, agreed that God's way was right, for they had been baptized by John. But the Pharisees and the experts in the religious law rejected God's plan for them, for they had refused John's baptism. So these leaders had watched all of this take place right in front of them. They had seen people come to follow Jesus, and yet these religious leaders, they still thought they were above this. They, they refused to repent themselves. It's clear in this story, and we know through other stories, that Jesus, he, does, he wants people to obey his commandments. He does not just want lip service from us. He wants to see action. There's an, another parable I want to look at real quick. So turn, we're going to go back to Matthew chapter 21, verse 3. So this is the second parable of the day. This is the parable of the evil farmers. So Jesus is actually using many, he's still talking to the same people, the same religious leaders. So he starts with the parable of the two sons that we just went over, and now he's going to immediately go into right into another parable. So verse 33, Matthew chapter 21. Now listen to another story. A certain landowner planted a vineyard, built a wall around it, dug a pit for pressing out the grape juice, and built a watch a lookout tower. Then he leased the vineyard to the tenant farmers and moved to another country. This story is common. It was common in Jesus' time. It's probably even somewhat common in today's time. A man, a landowner, would go and purchase a piece of property, a section of land. And then he would make whatever investments were necessary so he could have this vineyard. And he would make all the improvements needed so they could have a successful vineyard, expecting a harvest later. Then he would hire workers to manage it. And all this, though, remember, was so the owner later would expect fruits from his harvest. I think this still happens today. I mean, there's still many people that go out and buy parcels of land. They do all the improvements, and then they hire a tenant farmer to come and farm the land, later to come back and receive the crop or their blessings. So now, as we read this story, the landowner is now waiting for his the return on his investment that he's made. He's waiting for that harvest, for that fruit. So let's see what happens. We're going to read 34 all the way to 39. At the time of the grape harvest, he sent his servants to collect his share of the crop. But the farmers grabbed his servants, beat one, killed one, and stoned another. So the landover sent a larger group of his servants to collect for him. But the results were the same. Finally, the owner sent his son thinking, surely they will respect my son. But when the tenant farmer saw his son when the tenant farmer saw his son coming, they said to one another, Here comes the heir to the estate. Come on, let's kill him and get the estate for ourselves. So they grabbed him, dragged him out of the vineyard, and murdered him. Now we were just reading the parable before, talking about two sons, right? And the two sons response to their father, right? The parable of the two sons. The one said yes, one said no. Now I'll tell you, we, again, we have a parable that involves a son. And I'll tell you, if I was this landowner's son, think about that. If you were this landowner's son, and you just heard what had happened, right? You just heard your father had sent 
some servants to go check on the farm. They got beaten, stoned, killed. He sent another bigger group of servants. They got beaten, killed, stoned. Then your father goes to send you. Think about that. I don't know what my answer would be. I'd probably, no way. I'm not going. You see what happened to all of them guys? I don't know. I, this son obviously was obedient to the father, right? Because he knew what he was facing when he went to go to this farm. He knew what had already happened to the ones that had gone beforehand, and yet he was still obedient. I would have been, I don't know if I would have, I don't know if I would have done that. The farmers have killed the landowner's son now. Now, they did this hoping to inherit the crop or the land for themselves. So let's look at verse 40. When the owner of the vineyard returns, Jesus asked, what do you think he will do to them farmers? What do you think's fair? What should the owner do to the farmers? What's, what's fair? I mean, they killed all his servants. They beat the servants. They stoned him. They killed his son. What's fair? What do you think? You see the parable here? Does everyone see how this works? The landowner, do you see who the landowner is as we read this? The landowner is God. So think of that again. They've killed his son. He sent many beforehand as messengers. And many after that again. And then they sent his own son and they killed him. So what's fair? What should the landowner do to the tenant farmers? Now who are the messengers? We just talked about it. They're the Old Testament prophets. All of them. We can go through the long list. You can look at the history. And many of them, almost all of them, same death. Stoned, killed, beaten. Then if we know that God is the landowner, we know that his son is Jesus. So it's Jesus that was sent to the tenant farmers. So who are the tenant farmers? It was the religious leaders. It was the Jewish religious leaders. And they were the ones that had killed God's son, Jesus Christ. So this story is... Uh, a little more interesting now as we start thinking about that. And I go back to that question. What was the fair consequence for what they had done? Let's look at verse 41. The religious leaders replied, He will put the wicked men to a horrible death and lease the vineyard to others who will give him his share of the crop after each harvest. Because of what they had done, they said, destroy them, right? And give the responsibility to another, group, another farmer. Another tenant farmer. So do you think this would be a fair punishment in this parable, this story? As we question that and look at that, how does that apply to us today, though? Because I didn't really mention us in that. How does that apply to us? I found, as I looked through this, several things that I believe that applies to me and to us. I found it first, if you look at it, I found it important that if you look at this story, starting even with the first one, the parable of the two sons, do you notice that the father was going to come to the son to ask him to go work in the fields, right? But you notice he didn't come to both sons at the same time. He came to each one individually. Why would he do that? Why would he come to each son, each person individually and ask his request? Because I think it's a personal relationship. I think it does say something about that. I think that God comes to each one of us personally and lets us know what he would ask us to do. As we continue to look back through these different passages... As you look, even at the first one, he says, uh, let's see what verse here. Just verse 28, he says, go out and work in the vineyard today. So in a vineyard, in a farm, there's a lot of work that needs to be done, right? You could imagine all the different types of work that would need to be done. In this story, it doesn't mention what work specifically he asked the sons to do. He just said, go out to the vineyard vineyard, and work. That's it. Just go, go out and work. He asked for their willingness to say yes, to go out to the vineyard and be ready to work. I think there's a lesson for that in all of us, that 
once we get into the vineyard, then we will see whatever work needs to be done, and then we should take action and begin that work. We don't always know exactly what needs to be done until we get out there into it. And I see that a lot. A lot of people, they're like, I don't know what God's calling is. I don't know what he wants me to do. Well, get out there in the middle of it, and you'll see what needs to be done. Now look again at the passages. When God, when the father asked the, the sons to go out, when, when did he ask them to go? It's right in verse 28. He said, go today. He said, son, go out and work in the vineyard today. I think that's, we need to pay attention to that also, because sometimes the best time, the people like, they ask for timing. Sometimes the best, I think the best time for us all to obey Jesus is now, is today. No, no delaying, oh hey, I'll go out tomorrow. I'll go out next week. I'll go out when I'm more prepared or I'm more ready. I think this is, he's telling them, go today. As we go on and look at these religious leaders, we know that the owner of this farm had the right and the expectations to have that fruit or that harvest given to him, right? But let's turn to Acts real quick. Let's go to Acts 13, 46. So as we look through that story, as we go to Acts 13, 46, remember that first the tenant farmers were the religious leaders, but then they did not do what they were supposed to do. In fact, in the story, they killed the son. So now let's look at this, Acts 13, verse 46. Then Paul and Barnabas spoke out boldly and declared, It was necessary that we first preach the word of God to you Jews. But since you have rejected it and judged yourself unworthy of eternal life, we will offer it to the Gentiles. For the Lord gave us this command when he said, I have made you a light to the Gentiles to bring salvation to the furthest corners of the earth. When the Gentiles heard this, they were very glad and thanked the Lord for this message. All that were chosen for eternal life became believers. 49. So the Lord's message spread throughout that region. God, he looked first for fruit from Israel, from the religious leaders. He came, the message was presented to the Jewish people first, to the Jewish leaders. But we saw, as we saw in that last week's uh, analogy with the fig tree, there was all the leaves, but there was no fruit. So turn back to Matthew, verse 21, 42. Then Jesus asked them, Didn't you ever read the scriptures? The stone that the builders rejected has now become the cornerstone. This is the Lord's doing, and it is wonderful to see. This would have been offensive, right? Did you ever read the scriptures? This would be quite offensive to these leaders, I would assume. I mean, this is the religious leaders. This was their entire job is to be well-read in the scriptures, right? Imagine this happening today. Imagine maybe you and I, uh, me and Gaunzan, well, I get to pick on Gaunzan. We're having a discussion about communion, right? How it should be done, how it not should be done, or whatever the case is. And he goes, Pastor, don't you ever read your Bible? Don't you know what it says about this? I would kind of be offended, right? I mean, these guys would have been offended. Don't you read your Bible? Don't you know what it says? That's what Jesus is saying to them. I just use Gaunzan as an example. And, but this would be insulting to the religious leaders when Jesus said this. Don't you read the scriptures? You should have understood this. You should have saw this. You should have known this. Jesus is quoting from Psalms 118. He's mentioning him becoming that cornerstone. And this cornerstone, Jesus becoming the cornerstone, is mentioned throughout the Bible in many different places, not just here in Psalms. Let's look at it in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 19 through 22. 
So now you Gentiles are no longer strangers or foreigners. You are citizens along with all of God's holy people. You are members of God's family. Together we are his house built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets. And the cornerstone is Christ Jesus himself. We are carefully joined together in him, becoming a holy temple for the Lord. Through him you Gentiles are being made part of this dwelling where God lives by his spirit. So it is the church that is where this is built on. It is where the church is built on Jesus Christ. He is the cornerstone. So turn back to Matthew chapter 21. We're going to finish up here. 43 through 44. I tell you the kingdom of God will be taken away from you and given to a nation that will produce the proper fruit. Anyone who stumbles over that stone will be broken into pieces and it will crush anyone it falls on. This is a reference, is a warning to the leaders and to us that the rejection of Jesus, it was already foretold of. Many people were going to be stumbled by Jesus claiming to be the Messiah. This just tripped up the Jewish people. They just, they couldn't grasp this, that Jesus was the Messiah, and it stumbled them that he was the cornerstone. And these leaders, these Jewish leaders, were they, they were so corrupt that now, unfortunately, God is transferring that leadership, like if you talked about the tenant farmers, right? They didn't, they tried to, they killed the son. They didn't, he's transferring that now to the apostles, to the church today. So now it is through the church today that this is done. It is no longer through that. We are now the tenant farmers. So think about that. Cause now as we read all that, oh yeah, them guys, you know, they're horrible. They're rotten, right? Well, we have that responsibility now as the church. To produce fruit. So let's finish with the last two verses, 45 through 46. When the leading priest and Pharisees heard this parable, they realized that he was telling the story against them. They were the wicked farmers. They wanted to arrest him, but they were afraid of the crowds who considered Jesus to be a prophet. So these tenant farmers' response to the owner, the owner's son was the very same as the religious leader's response to God's son, Jesus. So how... How did they know when they, you look in there, it says they realized that he was telling this story against them. How did they know that? What made them come to the realization that Jesus was talking about them in this story? Maybe guilty? I don't know. As we close up here, it's kind of a shorter message today. There's a a few, one question and a couple points I want to look at. So in the first story, you see two responses from two sons, right? Two sons, two different responses. One yes, one no. One said yes, but didn't do it. One said no, but then did do it, right? So really, if you look at it closely, both responses were really not right. They weren't both, neither one was quite 100%. It's good the ones ended up repenting and coming back, but neither one of them was perfect response to God. But I think that tells us something, because that's the story he uses, is that God here in this story wasn't looking for perfection, but he was looking for a person that would surrender and repent and then do the right thing. And that's what the one son did. He said, no, I'm not going to do it. But then he turned and he repented and he surrendered to the father and he did what he was asked. I think that's what God's looking for us. It's not that we were perfect. It's not that the son was perfect. But he did repent and turn to God and do the right thing. Now, in the second story, we see a reminder that we are to submit to God's authority. We see that knowing or our knowing him and our accepting him or the rejection of him has eternal consequences. Now, did you notice 
In each story, though, if you look at it, in each one, there's a, you kind of ask for a response. There's a response in each one. And the one he says, what do you think about this one? Then the other one, um, he's looking for them to realize it was them in the story. So I think the first response that we see is that we are to believe and repent. And the second one in the second story, I really see that we need to understand that there is consequences. So as we close and look at these different uh, parables, I just I had to ask myself, really, am I saying just yes to God, I'll do this? Or is my heart really there to obey him? Um, I, I, you know, I'm like, yes, Lord, I'll do this. But am I really, really obeying him with my heart and the things I'm doing? I think that it's so important that our faith and our yeses be lived out practically in our lives. They're just not lip service. It's just not words. That when we, God has called us to, and asked us to do something that, such as he's done here, that we actually truly do it and act that and live that out in our lives. This uh, story, you can look it up later if you want, is uh, also kind of told in Isaiah chapter 5 in the first seven verses. It's kind of a, if you look it back, I think this is what Jesus was actually referring to. So if you ever want to take a look, look at Isaiah chapter 5, verses 1 through 7. So it's interesting as Jesus is rebuking the religious leaders here in these two parables. Now next week he's going to continue. Um, He's got another parable and another rebuke to these religious leaders. But as we see this, I know there's lessons in it we can also learn. So as we go out this week, let let us not be like either one of the sons. Let us just say yes, but also back that up with action in our lives. And actually do what we said we would do. And let, as, as the fig tree, not, not, not just leaves, not just beauty on the outside, but let there be fruit inside of that. So please join me in prayer if the worship team could head up. Heavenly Father, I just thank you for these stories here, these parables that you're using to teach us lessons, to remind us that who we're supposed to be as your followers, as your children. So Lord, I just pray that I just, I'm not really capable of doing this most of the time, Lord. And I know that it's through your Holy Spirit and through my surrenderance to you that I'm able to do these things, Lord. That I'm able to say yes and then follow through with a willing heart and that my actions would speak as loud as my yeses, Lord. It wouldn't just be a yes from my lips, but it'd be a yes throughout my entire life that I serve you, Lord. That there would be fruit in my life that would be evident, Lord, that I love you and that I follow you. And, Lord, as we read this story about the tenant farmers, Lord, how they have, you've trusted them, Lord. You've trusted them in the vineyard, Lord. The vineyard is the church, Lord. It's around us everywhere, Lord, that we're to go out, Lord, and we're to care. And, Lord, you will return, and you are looking for that harvest one day, Lord. You're looking for that fruit. So, Lord, we just want to give you what is yours, and we just want to be, Lord, we just want to be willing. So, Lord, we love you so much, Lord. I just thank you for this time that we got into your word. Lord, just bless this week and heal so many of us that are sick and just be with us this week and speak to us, Lord, that our actions would follow our words. In Jesus' name, amen.